0: One of the things I when I talk to people about body positivity is we need to learn what is real.
1: Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Damien, it is part two. You are back. Welcome back. Thank
0: you for having me. Again, here we are. We we couldn't leave it where we left it. We had to do this.
1: Do you know what? There is so many things that we could dive into today that it's it's gonna be never-ending because I think this is kind of a never-ending topic.
0: Yeah. It, there's, there's so much, and because we don't talk about it, there's so much we need to talk about. So yeah.
1: And that's so true. There's so much that we need to talk about because we don't talk about it. And I think You're right. When we last spoke, these words ring true in my ears. You said, disability and sex is the last big taboo. And here we are. We're breaking the taboo. We're going to have a whole conversation all about it. And I can't wait. I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I, I just feel because we don't see it in the media, We don't hear about it in like, like sex education, schools really like in mainstream schools, they wouldn't dream of talking about sex and disability because unless maybe if there's a disabled pupil, but even then, anyone I've spoken to in that situation, the like tutors, for example, will not talk about disability and sex.
1: Which, when you think about it, is absolutely ludicrous because one in four people in the UK are disabled, which totals to something like 16 million people in the entirety yeah. of the UK. So like, I can assure you those 16 million people are having sex. Like,
0: sex. Yeah, but you were more likely to see something on the TV about swingers, for example, or naturists, which is probably a lot less, obviously a lot less of the population, but it's kind of sensationalized or we can put that on the telly but or let's not talk about sex and disability because that should be behind closed doors
1: okay so i do have a question for you if you were to go into school into a school and you're talking about disability and sex what is like two of the main things that you would point out in in a conversation
0: i think the first thing would be that we all deserve pleasure yeah no matter on your disability or how you feel like around your gender or anything like that. We all deserve pleasure. yeah. Uh, and the second one would be to go out there and learn and just enjoy your body and love, love yourself first and then tell people how to love you.
1: I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? And it's something that we're definitely not taught at all, is that you need to be able to learn how to love yourself so you can teach someone else how to love you. Because I think we've grown up in this whole Disney era where the idea is, is that someone will come into your life and they'll know exactly and immediately how to love you or how to please you or how to like, how to have the best sex ever with this person. But actually that's, that's not the reality because none of us are mind readers.
0: No. And we need to get away from obviously most people, I would say that high percentage of teenagers now obviously learn from porn. Yeah. And that, again, is a negative. What they see in porn isn't a reality most of the time. So, again, talking about what real life sex looks like. Um, and there is platforms out there that show that. And I think it's endorsing them as well.
1: This is okay. So, this is so interesting because this isn't something that I knew until we spoke like last time. Is that there are platforms out there which showcase, I want to say like real life sex, but that's obviously like not really what I mean. But it's not this like theatrical movie production, which we now know as porn. So, like in the UK and probably all around the world, I don't know statistics particularly around this because this is definitely not my area of expertise. But when we're talking about porn, we know that it is fake and we know that there is a theater production behind it we know that there's lighting involved we know that there's like you know body doubles involved we know that there's all of these different things that go into making this scene that isn't real and yet this is how as you said the vast majority of young people are learning about sex and what it looks like and what it sounds like, and what you should be doing, and where you should be putting your hands, and all of this kind of stuff is all through these theatrical productions. But talk to me some more about these sites that don't involve the theatre as such of porn.
0: Yeah, one, one of my favorites is Make Love Not Porn, um, mm-hmm. which is owned by Cindy Gallup, and it's couples can submit videos of their like real world sex, which is what Cindy calls it. And it it's videos that are very raw. Um, they're all vetted and and things like that, but they're very raw, and you see in, you know, you see the sweating, you see, the, like, cameras falling off the walls, the noises are natural. Um, thing, like, you know, when things go wrong, you see it, and I think that's what we've always got to portray as well. Sex isn't always perfect. As as I alluded in part one about me dislocating my joints, you know, if if that was seen on film, yes, it would probably be, a meme, clickbait, because oh look, this has gone wrong, and it yeah. would be not. But again, it's just it's natural, it's normal. These things happen. Yeah, um, but for years, you know, in, you go back to porn and like adult mags in the nineties, and everything was like photoshopped and airbrushed, and that's gone on so much. But we're now seeing it again, obviously with filters on yeah. social media. So able to have a real false narrative of what is real. It, we need, and that's what we need to get back to.
1: And what's really interesting is the point that's been brought up before is that disability and sex is not seen as something that just happens because, because of the porn industry, it can be seen as a kink or a fetish. And I'd love to delve into this idea a bit more with you that actually all that we have seen in terms of disability and sex has been through that lens. Because actually, I don't remember the last time I saw a disability sex scene in like a TV show or in a movie or in, you know, any any mainstream media that isn't actually in some way making disability and, and porn and sex kind of entertainment and not in the best way.
0: Yeah, there certainly was. I can't remember ever seeing anything growing up like that. Yeah. Um, I think over the last couple of years, you've had sex education have tackled it. Yeah. It went about at Allen. but there's nothing. But would you still class them as mainstream? I would say sex education would be definitely mainstream because it had such a big yeah. following on Netflix. But until you see something on like a nine o'clock show on BBC One, for example, it, I don't know how mainstream it still is. Um, Channel Four, for example, when they do like uh, naked attraction, there has been people with disabilities on there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you always say it's in a positive light, though. Either.
1: Yeah. No. And I and I would agree with you on that.
0: Yeah. It, it, sometimes I just feel it's done for one of the word tokenism or to like for a bit of sensationalism. Oh, look, there's someone with a limb missing, for example. Um we shouldn't be like that. Why? The media's got such a bad way of still talking about it, especially like certain pay- newspapers and things like that. that will twist it into a negative way instead of looking at the positive and how if you've got a group of, say, like 16-year-olds who have got disabilities, if they don't see positive role models, and especially around sex and, and body image, They're always going to be fighting against themselves, and that's what shouldn't be happening.
1: It's really interesting that you bring up naked attraction because I cannot think of anything worse going onto a TV show and just being like and just being picked. Like I work out as well, so like my body's in really good shape, and I'm not being big-headed by saying that it would. It would be alarming if my body wasn't in good shape the amount that I work out. But the idea that I would go and like bare all on a TV show for someone to pick me based on that is petrifying. And that's not because I'm not body confident, but that's because particularly like that type of TV show, I haven't really seen myself represented. So I would be the odd one out and I would be the one that the discussion would be around because you don't get to see the face until the end, do you? It's very much like bit by bit by bit. So I think I can understand why it's almost sensationalized because you're like, oh, like you didn't expect that to be there. But it's that lack of expectation that's the problem. Because yeah. um, where do, where do we go from there?
0: It's really hard, especially with programs like that. I don't I don't see a simple solution around it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but this is where I will go back to. One of the things i t- when I talk to people about body positivity is we need to learn what what is real and what isn't, and like, and then then like you say, you look at yourself and think, well. I'm normal. Even even if you've got something physically wrong with you and some people might think, oh, don't like that or whatever. That's their issue, not yours. Yeah. So again, like I said, it's, it's loving yourself first. Um, and then if people can't accept you for what you are, they just need to fuck up.
1: Um, <laughs> but it's, it is so true. It's very, very true. And I just, I love the fact that we're able to have this honest and open conversation about it because there are so many pitfalls that the media have created particularly for disabled people particularly surrounding body image and sex and everything else that comes along with that because we weren't represented so therefore we didn't see ourselves so therefore we weren't allowed to appreciate ourselves when we did look good because we still didn't look as good as quote unquote the non-disabled because that was what we looked up to that was our role models like we we didn't have the disabled versions of our role models they didn't exist and now with social media they do you know you can go on instagram and you can search or you can go on facebook or you can go on youtube you can find those people who look like you but it's still very interesting in terms of how we approach conversations around disability and sex because as i said we've spoken about how we've only really ever seen it as a kink or a fetish. And I'm going to get you to explain the difference between the two, because I didn't know the difference between the two until about 10 minutes ago when we first started having this conversation.
0: <laughs> so the, a kink is something that you you can bring into your sex, so like BDSM, tickling, something like that. But the difference between that and a fetish is a fetish is something you need, you need in there for like pleasure. So if, if you have a kink about tickling, you might just bring it in now and again. If you have a fetish, you want it all at, like to achieve the best pleasure you can have. You will want that in your sex life. Um, where disability is concerned, obviously, there's so much around devotees. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the only porn, really, that you kind of see around disability is fetishized mm-hmm. So there, were, there will be people who have it as a kink. There definitely will be. Um mm-hmm. And I think what we need to do is not shame them for it, yeah. but talk about it. Because there will be people who are quite happy to be fetishized or be a part of someone's kink. There, there will always be someone out there. Yeah. So we, we've got to kind of have conversations about the boundaries, where that goes as well.
1: Like all of this information, I'm literally taking this in and I'm like, wow. So kinks and fetishes are different. That's what I've taken from this. But the idea that a disability can be a kink or a fetish. Now, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? And like, I don't want to say a bad thing because I feel like bad is the wrong word to use because it's not bad. It's just different. But how do we approach it in a way that doesn't make disabled people feel like they're just being used for their disability.
0: It's a really difficult one, is this. Uh, and I think, we, again, it's just having open conversations uh-huh. and not shaming Some, it, I think it's on the person who has the kink or the face to be open about it from an early, like, you know, and say, oh, I really like you because you've got a limb missing, for example, and, oh, that really does something for me. Right? That, that's... R- but... I think it's better doing that than getting like into a relationship. say so twelve months down the line, say, "Oh, do you know what? I really like that, and that's why I, I'd like asked you out." It's it's finding that happy medium because there will be there is definitely people in that situation.
1: Yeah, and that is, and then we and then we think about devotees. Now, this is going to be something that I really want to delve into because I think a lot of people haven't really got a clue what a devotee is. And the like how problematic devotees can be. So, I think if we start there and see where we like end up with this one, because as I said in our last chat, the amount of devotees that I've had on my account is alarming. And yeah, and I know a lot of other women feel very, very harassed online with the devotees because, from my understanding of it, is that a devotee is someone who is sexually aroused, turned on, does something for them surrounding the disability that you may or may not have. However, it's not necessarily about the fact that you're disabled. It's about the fact that they would have power over you because you're disabled and you wouldn't be able to necessarily get out of said situation.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely different to having a kink about a physical disability, for example. You know, it's like that. having that conversation about, you know, people have a type are they like blondes or they like redheads and things mm-hmm. like that. And kind of, is there is there something there, you know, or someone likes to disable it? But like you said, with a devotee, I think it's that bit of control as well. That's where the issue comes in. Yeah. Um, and it's that wanting to, verging on like a saviour complex, I think. It's getting that, I want to be in control. I want to be their carer. And all, all that that comes with it, and kind of take pride in that. So I think th- th- there is definitely an issue with that.
1: It's 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 such a it's such an interesting one because, and I wonder if it's different between me and you because you are a male. So I wonder, do you still get devotees, or how like how how it how is your space? And when I say your space, I mean like your per like your social media. How is that? I was about to say, how is that penetrated by devotees? But that's like the wrong sentence to put together. <laughs> do you know, How do it's, they show up? I've
0: had, yeah, I've had this conversation and like, I, I kind of, how I say it might sometimes come across wrong. And it's just, I find it really weird because I, I speak with so many sex educators uh, and people in the disabled community. And the amount of people like yourself getting dick pics, things like that, as a male in that space, I've never had anything like that, and I kind of like I joked to someone one day, and this where I said, "The day I get a tit pick, I know I've made it as a sex educator." But it's just, it was a joking sit, and it's, and I just find it weird that as a male, nothing like that ever happens, um, and I don't know if that's because I'm a straight male, I I really don't, but I've never had. And I'm saying I don't think I've had a, someone like a devotee approach me, anything like that.
1: Honestly, that, that blows my mind. because and, and the reason I say that is because when I first started talking about disability online, one thing that held me back was devotees because it really, and I'm going to say it petrified me, the idea, and I don't really get scared by many things, but the idea that someone would only follow me or like, look at what I was saying purely because they thought at some point they would have some form of sexual control over me because I was a disabled woman. Now, I think there's a whole thing to be said in that of fear around sexual control because I think yeah. every, every woman's biggest fear is being assaulted, and that's like factual. I don't know a woman who doesn't have that fear. So for, for you to say that you've never really experienced anyone come onto your account and be like, here's my penis... Is genuinely mind blowing for me. And I think, particularly around disability, because I don't know a disabled woman who hasn't been harassed in some form sexually online. And that says so much because I know a lot of disabled women. We know a lot of the same people. Every single one of those women that we both know has been sexually harassed online at some point. Yeah.
0: And as, like I said, as a male in the space, never. Uh, and like, I do find it kind of weird in a way because I, and I don't know if that shows what is wrong with society, that it's mainly men that are the problem. Yeah. Um, with sending images and things like that. I just, one day it might happen. And, um, you know, I will openly, the day it happens, I will talk about it um, and yeah. share it or whatever. But it's just, it is very strange. I do, I don't know. The only thing I can kind of say that, especially since I've been in my wheelchair, I've noticed,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is I can I, do get the odd person who kind of wants to mother me more.
1: Okay, yeah, right. Well that's
0: different. I think that's just like, oh, are you you know, are you all right, blah blah and checking up on me more. But there's yeah. I've sexual point of view, nothing. And I talk about sex all the time. So you would think <laughs> I would kind of open myself to it. I don't, you know, that is all I do. Is I talk about sex and disability and sex toys and things like that. So I kind of I'm in that space that kind of lends yourself to it, but
1: yeah. No. I actually can't wrap my head around that. I genuinely can't because I think because it's something that I'm so hyper aware of and particularly like particularly with the limb different people that I know, it's a real there's a real big limb devotee problem on Instagram and no matter how many times you report it it doesn't nothing happens and because I don't use a wheelchair I don't know what it's like it's like a wheelchair devotee experience I don't know what that experience is like but the girls that I know on Instagram and I say girls because like you said guys don't really tend to get this And, and if they do like please feel free to send me a message but the girls that I know, we all tend to like message each other with the snapshot of the account, being like, "Get them blocked immediately because this is this is a devotee." And you can tell, you can you can tell as soon as you see their username, who they follow, if they've got it on private, and they've got like four thousand people that they follow, and like two people follow them back. Like you know that that's just a sex, It's it's for yeah. sexual gain on that. But the fact that you don't get that, honestly, like, because I think it's something that I'm so hyper vigilant of, and it's also because i love doing this i'm like you like i love talking about disability i love talking about like my daily life all of that kind of stuff and it's the idea that someone would never take away what i actually had to say from it i think that almost annoys me even more because i think being a disabled person and this stands for men and women the idea that you're not heard or that you're misunderstood is infuriating but it's a reality of quite a lot of us but the idea that someone would purposefully misunderstand you for sexual gain Blows my mind.
0: Yeah, I think algorithms have a lot to answer for though as well. Like because yes. like if you look go on like Instagram and you're like someone follows you for example, they're then going to get in the search. They're going to get pictures of other people in yeah. like with them differences and things like that, or wheelchair mind like minds full of different accounts with people in wheelchairs. Yeah. So they they have it straight there. They don't even have to go looking for it. They can just click and scroll through it and decide who they're going to follow.
1: Oh yeah cuz there's also like there's also a lot of hashtags that are very inappropriate like amp girl and and that, that's not one that i'm necessarily like you know that doesn't bother me but it's like sexy amputation that's a problem because
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah cuz i keep seeing accounts about like sexy girls in wheelchairs and things like that and yeah. that's all it is just using people's phones, And it's so wrong at the end of the, i i get the whole thing of Appreciating other people's bodies and people and like and looks, but let's just roll it back a little bit and take the disability out of it again. You know Uh why? Why should it just be all the sexy because they're in a wheelchair? They're just a sexy person. Full stop. It doesn't matter if they're in a wheelchair. They use crutches. They've got limb difference. Anything. Just yeah.
1: It is. It's so. It's so interesting. Yeah, we we. I get
0: why it happens, but it shouldn't happen. And I think, again, the mainstream media has a place in this. Yeah. Like, I think it's amazing, for example, now that Blue Peter's got a presenter who's in a wheelchair.
1: Yeah.
0: I will be interested, especially as that is a female presenter, I'll be intrigued to see how they manage on social media with the likes of devotees and things like that.
1: That's because- a really interesting point. And the reason I say this is because... Someone that I, I think you know them as well. I'm not going to say their name, but like a very, very prevalent wheelchair user recently put on Instagram, actually on a LinkedIn, that she was continually sexually harassed because she was in her wheelchair. And it's and it, like some of the messages she gets, they're just they're just very, very extreme. So I think you're right. I'll be very intrigued to see what happens and how they handle the social media around that particular presenter because there is absolutely nothing stopping people messaging her, what they message like our friend and yeah. that will be really interesting to see because I don't think that topic of conversation even though it should hit mainstream media I don't think it will and I think no and that's what it
0: should be perhaps. like you said I wonder at what point they would say right this needs to stop yeah and put something out there and say right this is what abuse they're receiving or messages that are inappropriate can we please put a stop to it yeah i, I don't see the BBC especially having that conversation. There there's a massive safeguarding issue up there. Yes.
1: Yeah, and a big safeguarding
0: issue. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do deal with it.
1: Yeah, and I'm yeah, I completely agree. And I, yeah, I'll be very, very interested. Very interested to see what happens, particularly surrounding that. There is there are so many things that are going on in my brain right now that I'm like, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Honestly, this conversation could go on forever. But one thing that I would I would like to touch on, and it's an area of expertise that you definitely have, is disability and sex toys. I'm going to like put the two together as a sandwich. Yes. Let's talk about it. Because something that you said on the last podcast was that quite a number of disabled people don't necessarily reach pleasure without sex toys. And you also are involved in hot octopus. So talk to me about disability and sex toys, because I didn't really realize that not all sex toys are accessible.
0: No, a, a massive percentage. Mm. Um, so as I alluded to in like the last episode, Obviously, I've been in the industry for a long time.
1: Yeah,
0: and it didn't take long to realise a lot of products weren't accessible. Like for me, I would struggle if I was doing a demonstration about certain products. I would struggle with the charges, I'd struggle with the buttons,
1: yeah, and
0: things like that. So that's when I started focusing on looking for accessible products. And then there is brands like Puss who have amazing accessible toys, and they're also willing to listen to feedback and. And change how they work and i think this is where companies have a place to play in, in this in the market they don't and the problem is some there is some st- companies still in the industry who do not see the worth in the purple pound and how big a market it is mm-hmm. and i have even had a company tell me oh we don't want to really market it as a product for the disabled even though it's an accessible product they don't want to market it as that because it might affect the rest of their market. So
1: There was silence just there, and that's because my mouth is literally wide open. Because that kind of thing, A, that is ableism in its most finest form. But secondly, you are so right when we think about the purple pound. Now, for those who don't necessarily know what the purple pound is, the purple pound is a spending power that disabled people have. So I think there's a crazy amount of money that disabled people could contribute to Companies and, and, and shopping and all that kind of stuff. So, where you put your money is where you put your purple pound if you are, you know, if you classify yourself as a disabled person. And there's, and you're right, there is so much money in the purple pound that people, companies completely miss out on. But ha- it's amazing that someone said that to you because had it been any other ism, so yeah. you know, that wouldn't have been said. But because it's about disability, it was.
0: They I tried to like have a conversation about how they could really market it uh, like at uh, this disabled market because it's such an accessible product, but they no. They're not interested in doing it because they're just worried how it would have an effect. It wouldn't for me it wouldn't have any effect. I can't see how they think it would. Um hopefully they might change the mind as time goes on, as I have more conversations with them. I don't know. I I, I very much doubt it. But it's not a, quite often when you see people talking about what's accessible and what isn't like in the sex toy industry, they'll just always focus on buttons or it needs bigger buttons or it needs different buttons. And it's not just about that. They need to start looking at packaging, how you, cause some boxes are really hard to get into. So you need to look at things like that, looking at the instructions. Can you download them in an audio file, for example, mm-hmm. and even something that I've only learned, Over the last, I would say 18 months is for people who are neurodiverse about how the vibration can affect them and the smell and things
1: like that as well. This is things that you don't like, don't necessarily think of straight off the beat. But as soon as someone says it to you, you're like, Of course. Yeah. It's obvious. But it's also not obvious.
0: So you can understand why big multi-million-pound companies don't look at these things because it's probably, once you start looking at one, you've got to look at them all mm-hmm. and you're never going to make, I think it would, it's going to be always a struggle to make a completely accessible product because there's always going to be someone who won't be able to use it for, for a multitude of reasons. But we just need to have conversation about how we can make products more accessible mm-hmm. um, and look at why they need to be. So for example, like if someone's in a wheelchair, they're, and they use something that can sit on for example more of a humping toy rather than something that's penetrable if someone's got um any issues like with their vulva does it have to be something that penetrates can it just be something more of a clitoral stimulator There's multitude and like with, with penises, that's one good thing about the hawk plus product some of them that you can use with a flaccid penis because if someone's had a spinal cord injury and they can't get erections for example They still want to have some sort of pleasure so that's where products like that come in Um, but then looking at positional furniture and then flip it again looking at something that isn't meant for one thing that can be used for something else so using for example a bondage restraint as something for helping turn someone over or if they're having some sort of spasm helping them keep in control Things like that. There's so many ways, and using something as simple as bondage tape um, to restrain yourself to your wheelchair. To if you want to kink it up a little bit, it's yeah.
1: I'm only laughing because so I'm about to ask you, like, what is bondage tape? I thought you would just use like a tie, like.
0: bondage tape is very. Bondage tape is a tape that you literally it, you can just wrap around. Um, just looks like a roll of tape, but it's not. And it, it sticks to itself. It doesn't stick to your skin as such. It just sticks to itself. So you can like use it as a restraint. Um, and it's really soft to the skin. You're not going to hurt yourself with it.
1: The more you know, because in my head, I'm like, duct tape, that's a good... And yeah. then I'm like, no, because duct tape's really painful. <laughs> like, duct tape is yeah. not if nice you're, to if take you're,
0: off. You're going you're to wax yourself with duct tape. You're not going to do that with bondage tape. Um and it's also like using something in a different way. Like, for example, using a cheap vibrating cock ring, putting it on your fingers to stimulate your partner rather than if you can't physically do it and things like that.
1: But these are the conversations that we need to be having because there are so many things that you have just said in like a, not even like a two-minute period. And I'm like, boom, 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 boom. So many things have just gone off in my brain. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, like I would never have thought of that in 100 million years. But... Because we've never necessarily had that conversation, and I've never had this conversation with anyone else, where do you go to have these conversations if you need to find out about this information? Like, where where is this information for people who don't necessarily have penetrative sex, or are not able to, or you know, having like heteronormative sex isn't their thing, but they're still disabled? Where do they go? to have these conversations or listen or learn about what can be used, what, where, and anywhere?
0: This, this is the problem. There isn't a massive amount of that out there. There is um, Enhanced the UK who do a fab job of talking about sex and disability. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's having people to reach out. I'm happy for ever, anyone, ever want to ask a question, just send me an email, drop me a message. I will always answer what I can. Mm-hmm. um because we again we need to have these like safe spaces as well yeah um and i often get people saying to me they will talk to me about sex and disability because i'm disabled myself they don't want to have them conversations with someone who isn't disabled as well
1: yeah that was um, that was another point that i was going to break bring up actually but i'll bring that up after you've finished sorry i've just completely yeah wrong. and it's
0: the same yeah. with sex education um it's such a problem because there's such a lack of male sex educators, mm-hmm. especially who go into schools. So this is why we need to change things as well. So because young young lads need to learn about respect, consent in a good way instead of watching porn. But a lot of young lads don't feel comfortable having sex education lesson lessons with a female teacher, but there isn't the male teachers who are willing to do it. And I think this is other conversation. I have so many when I've done sessions with talking about sex and disability um and sex ties and things like that, the amount of male people who were there are like, oh, I would never do this if it was someone female talking about it. It's because you're a lad talking about it. They're happy to ask me awkward questions. Yeah. But it, I also don't alienate any females who are there either, because they're happy to talk to me about it as well.
1: What you just said sparked like sparked a memory and actually thinking about school and sex education, I never had a male sex education teacher. Never. And like and actually when I think back to like sex education in school, it was just the most awkward experience ever. Like and, and generally it is. And I think I don't really think it's changed much since I was in school. I don't know. it's been quite a while. <laughs> like, yeah. Who knows what it's like now, but I can pretty much guarantee that it's probably pretty similar.
0: Would you have felt awkward if it had been a male teacher?
1: depends who it was, I think. It really depends upon who the teacher was, because I think I remember at school there were some really good-looking guy teachers. I went to a school where there were some really, really, really good-looking guys, like male teachers, and I think if it had been any of them, I would have died. I would have died inside. Um, because I think I probably would have been concentrating more on them than what they were saying. <laughs> I take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting point. I don't actually know if I necessarily would have been like a hundred percent comfortable with that either. Because I think there's is uh, there's something very, very um Per, there's something very personal about being taught sex education and it's not necessarily personal like in the relationships that you have with the teacher but because it's almost crossing that personal boundary of information even though you don't necessarily give out any information you're kind of being told how your body ca- could work and I think that's it's such a weird thing for maybe a girl to be listening to a guy tell you how your body works when they don't necessarily have that experience because how can they have that experience they Are male and you are female, unless you're trans, and that's a whole other debate that I'm not really willing to get into. But for the sake of this conversation, we're talking about cis men and cis women, and I think there's something, you know, there's something, there's like a, there's a real, almost like there's a loss in translation because I think if I was to tell you about how your experience as a guy would be, but not have had that experience myself, there would be like a real miscommunication and a real loss of translation there. So I think that's a really interesting point is that actually whilst I didn't have any male sex education teachers, would I have felt comfortable listening to that conversation? Maybe not. I
0: think there's, there's definitely a scope for and definitely reasoning to have mixed classes, but to have a male and a female facilitator. Yeah. So you can have them conversations openly. I don't agree with splitting boys and girls up to have sex education. This may be the odd thing, maybe, but I, I don't see, because I think we need to learn, the earlier we learn about each other's bodies, the better. And, and yeah. It, get, it bring, breaks to bows down. So, and then if you've got a disabled person in the class, they shouldn't be excluded from that either. It should be said, well, you know, if you've got a physical disability or a learning disability, that may affect your sex life. But let's discuss how, no. how you can get around that. Yeah. um schools need to be more open there's such a conversation around sex education at the moment obviously with certain MPs wanting to change the narrative which is shocking we need we need to have it needs to be age appropriate don't get me wrong but we need to have more sex education not less because at the end of the day i would say 99% of children have a mobile phone they can access anything they want mm-hmm. um so we, why why not educate them Properly rather than just letting them go and discovering hardcore porn, people like Andrew to all the negativity, toxic masculinity. We need to get rid of that. um I find it quite. I talk to a lot of my friends who are my age who have got children anywhere from five to late teens.
1: Yeah.
0: And they will ask me questions because they don't know how to deal with their own children's sex education. So they'll ask me for advice. Um, because they don't know and they feel funny going and learning. So they'll just ask me, oh, demo, what do you think I should say? And yeah. I'll tell them. And I, I, I spoke with someone a while back and it was one of my favourite comments I ever got was someone turned up and said, I'd love to go for you to teach my daughter sex education in her school. And I thought, like, it really got to me because I was like,
1: yeah,
0: It was someone I'd only met once and we had a conversation around sex and she was like, oh, I'd love for you to go into my school. And I've had that from a few people now and it just shows there is an issue. I don't know what pupils would think if I see me rolling in in my bright pink wheelchair with my bright pink trainers on. They would think what the fuck is going on. But, you know, it would be open to conversation.
1: Yeah, actually, I um, I would happily say that I wish that you had gone into my school to talk about <laughs> sex education, because I think there are so many things that you learn about that you didn't learn about in school, which you should have learned about like much, much sooner than you did. And I, I mean like you and we, and I mean it in like the royal terms as in societally, I don't mean as in like me and you. Yeah. But I think you're so right when you say that we need to be starting education, um, like age-appropriate sex education younger. Because there are so many things, like I, you think about, I think about the first time I even knew porn was a thing and I was, I was young and I didn't know how to handle that. Like, how does anybody know how to handle that? If that's your first introduction to sex, like, no wonder we have so many issues in society today.
0: <laughs> yeah, and... In the last 10 years, porn has got much more hardcore, darker with the storylines. Yeah. And it's explaining to people about that. I think there is definitely, like one of the things in the media regarding sex uh, sex education conversation is oh, parents should be allowed to see what their kids are learning. Mm -hmm. I don't have an issue with that. I think there is definitely a conversation to be had that, Parents could do with sex education classes themselves because they are so naive to what is going on around in society. Um, the amount of times I get, like, say, messages from friends and say, Oh, do you know what this means? Yeah, it means this. Or oh. because they're afraid of Googling as well because they don't know what's going to come up. So who knows just, what
1: targeted ads are going to come out your way? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so they're quite happy. Oh, we'll, we'll just, we'll text them or he'll know. Um, and that's how it how it happens. But yeah, there's definitely a scope for adults learning. And I think the media could play a role in that if we had... I know there's more and more programs about, like for example, the menopause and how to love your own body. I think that if you had something on at eight, nine o'clock at night on probably be Channel 4 that would do it if anyone... But talking about some of the sex education things and putting a group of adults into that room, if Channel 4 wants to nick this idea, I'm open to have conversations. But to put (laughs) adults in a room with a sex educator and see how much they actually didn't know of what kids are up to nowadays, I think it'd be frightening.
1: Okay, actually, on a serious note, I'd love to present that program. So Channel 4 want to contact both of us. We're more than happy to have the conversation with you because I think it could be really fun. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It would be it would be so much fun. And then I think it would open so many eyes.
1: Yeah.
0: I'd even drag Miriam Cates on to have a conversation with her, who is the MP that is causing all the trouble around sex education. Because I think even I think there's such a naivety to what access kids have now.
1: Yeah, I think that's so true, isn't it? Like. We always talk about the benefit of social media, but then we also, it is a beast in itself and we kind of need to know how to tame the beast, particularly surrounding, you know, younger adults, children, whatever, with that access to social media, that access to the internet. Because actually, when I think about how Apple knows all of my details all the time, <laughs> like... And how young kids have access to that. And, and let's be fair, like kids who have grown up fully with the internet, and I'm not just talking about like 90s kids, I'm talking about kids who were born in like 2010 yeah. who have, who will be able to navigate the internet far better than you and I put together. Where they can go and what they can get to much, much quicker with you know very, very few steps, what they could find is potentially so damaging that actually you're right, we need to take a look at that and realize that Kids can kind of get what they want to get out of the internet pretty immediately, um, and yeah. we need to, we need to accept that fact and actually put the put the safeguarding in place so that if people did see that, they know that it's not necessarily real.
0: And also, yeah, that, that's the thing. There's so much out there that isn't real. Like,
1: yeah,
0: I was watching someone the other day. Um, they and it was funny. They put videos of themselves on and photos the same day. And you could see how much a filter that would use on certain bits.
1: Yeah.
0: We need, kids need that. That is one lesson for me that should be very early on because that is having such an effect on body image. Like when, when I was growing up and it was reading Lads Mags, like FHM, Loaded Nuts. So all them sort of magazines and they were full of celebrities and glamour models and things like that. You knew to a point some of it would probably be for like edited and it was different then. Where now we can all edit an image on our phone instantly. Yeah, it, it's mind blowing how much. And then kids are wanting to look like that mm. and they can't achieve that. No, if, it's yeah.
1: An algorithm. It's a, I think that's such a key point, isn't it? Is that body image today, the issues that we're facing, particularly around like younger children, and I wouldn't, and obviously this does span people of like my generation, your generation. But I think maybe because we didn't have, we did have that internet access immediately and we kind of understand that algorithms kind of are a bit fake and real life isn't how it's meant to be on social media. So maybe we have like a, a level removed from that where we can understand and kind of grasp that actually like not everything on social media is real. People don't necessarily look like that. That is very much a computer-generated image. Kids today who want to look like filters and who want to look... I almost want to say false because the images that we're given when they're heavily filtered are false and they don't look real. They don't look, you know, there's nothing, you can't see texture in them. You can't see like skin tone. You can't, that doesn't exist. It's this idea of hyper fetishized, complete perfection that just doesn't exist in real life. And and it's the idea that people want to look like that. Going back to body image, which means that you know your body image is going to be negatively impacted if that's what you want to look like. Let's put body image and, and sex together because we all know there's a massive correlation between how much you love your body and how much you're going to really enjoy sex. The whole thing is just a never-ending, big, massive Venn diagram that crosses over in so many different places that you're right. We need to start somewhere and maybe body image is the place that we start and get rid of these false ideas of achievement that we can never get to. Yeah,
0: and I think it goes for false achievement around lifestyle as well. I think there's such... A th- you can put any lifestyle you want on to oh, on on right. Instagram, for example. Yeah. That, and I think that, again, where disability is constant, that puts a lot of pressure on people because I have days where I can't really be asked to do anything because I've crashed... I've used too much energy up. But you'll get someone else who can... who. We'll say, right, well, I've done this today, this today, this today. That isn't achievable for everyone. So we've got, again, to stop putting the pressure on ourselves. If, if, you, if you're having a day where you don't want to get dressed, you don't want to do your hair, you don't want to get out of bed, have a day like that. I know you can't work for everyone depending on your work circumstances, but there's so much pressure on disabled people to go out one way or the other because you get some pressure from people to say, well, I'm disabled. Don't have a life, boys made that sort of thing. Yeah. Then you get the other on. Oh, look at me, I'm running a marathon, blah, blah, blah. I okay. think we need to have that happy medium as well.
1: It's really funny. Someone actually I think it was an attempt at like someone to, to make me feel bad about myself. They were like, Oh, you've made disability your whole persona. <laughs>
0: yeah, I see that quite often with people.
1: And I was like, I talk about disability quite a lot. I obviously, like, I host this podcast, which is all about being disabled yeah. and proud. Is this my persona? No, like, I'm very proud of being a disabled woman. I'm, and I'm never going to say that I'm not because I absolutely am. But making something like this my whole persona, I was like, I just, I don't really think you got the message. I don't really think you've quite got the message. <laughs> but also, this is social media.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um- at the end of the day your disability is part of you you've got and yeah. the whole thing of this podcast being proud about it and and like I said I've become more proud of my disability definitely and I own it 100% now yeah
1: um
0: if someone yes I it's funny I got stopped so many times at NerdX mm-hmm. um, which is a disability show for those who don't know because uh, of my pink chair and the pink yeah. trainers and people stop me and they want to talk to me about it and I kind of think and someone, a friend of mine who is disabled, said to me, "It has become your like trademark. That's all people know you for." I said, "It isn't though. Most people know from me talking about sex." <laughs> I said, "It's probably you know." Someone came up to me, "Oh, you're the sex type person." I was like, "That's the one." <laughs> you know, it's and I, I I love that. I was like, "Who's been talking about me?" <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think it's so interesting when we think about disability and how it does impact who we are as people because you're right there are some people who really really embrace it like i would say i'm one of those people i would also say you are one of those people but then there are other people who really you know go against it and and there's almost and you can see it online there is a real battle between the people who are like Just accept your disability. Like, it's really hard. It's a journey. But actually, once you accept it, like, maybe you're in a better place. Like, you know, I can say from personal experience, I'm not actually talking about me, but I'm talking about what other people might say. You know, from personal experience, it's made my life better. There are people who have been on this podcast who have said the same thing. But there's also been people on this podcast who say they might never accept their disability. And neither are right or wrong. But we need to have, like, as you say, this happy medium of actually, you can be disabled and it's okay. Either, either way you swing, it, it like as long as you're happy in yourself, then that's fine. But you don't necessarily need to be assigned to one camp or the other. You can be in the happy medium.
0: Yeah, and there's people who will openly admit that like their disabilities helped them, like with their careers and things like that. I I definitely one of them. because I, I I'm very niche of what I talk about. There's not many people talk about sex and disability. There's not many sex educators who are disabled. It's I definitely a, a niche in that. Respect, and it's benefited me work-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many conversations to be had. Like going back to the sex education thing, it's even little things talking about, for example, um, contraception and how someone with a physical, like who has hand dexterity issues or upper limbs missing they can't put a condom on.
1: Can confirm that is true. Not going to lie, can confirm that yeah. is true. <laughs> um, there is.
0: There is a condom out there that you can do with one hand and you don't need to grip it. But people, I would say 90% of people know about the brand.
1: I am that target market. I didn't know about it. Like,
0: so I... The brand is called Wingman and it is, it is a condom that has like a plastic holder and you can literally just pull it straight down the penis. The ring breaks off. That's it. It's on. You can't go wrong with it. You physically can't go wrong with it. I would normally demonstrate one, but I haven't got any at the moment.
1: This is a shame for everybody because I think I would have loved to have seen it.
0: <laughs> I, I will film a video of using, of showing on on, not on myself, on a dildo. Um, but yeah, it is there.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. But again, but it's, it's so it true. Is conversations like that. Yeah, it's so true because I, I never, I always get the other person to do it because I'm like, I can't help you in this situation. <laughs> like...
0: Yeah. And it's having, and also, it's a conversation I, I've talked about numerous times, and it will, and it's something either we can talk about quickly or in depth for episode three, if we have to go that far, is the whole conversation about having children. Interesting.
1: Because, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think let's, you know what? Let's talk about it now, because I think this is a very interesting topic of conversation to have, particularly in today's society, but also around disability that people are almost too afraid to broach. Yeah. Because we, we're we having this conversation now in society where there are people who are deciding that they don't want to have kids, and that is absolutely fine. But actually, some some people are really shocked and taken aback by that decision that there are people out there who don't want to have kids. Equally, there are people out there who don't want to have kids and are really shocked by the idea of people that want to have kids. Now, throw disability into that, it can become a very, very different conversation. Because I don't think what a lot of people realize is that sometimes disability is genetic, sometimes it's fluke. And there is a big difference, I would say, from personal experience having these conversations with different people, different disabled people with loads of different disabilities. It completely ranges what your disability is and how your feelings of kids are. There is no one size fits all. As there is with people who, you know, want to have kids and don't want to have kids. But with disability, there's it's a very, very different conversation. Because sometimes disability comes with pain. And the yeah. idea of inflicting pain on someone that you don't know or that you could bring into this world is not a particularly nice thought or a nice conversation to have.
0: Yeah, this is a conversation my wife and I had for a long time. Yeah. So... I, I think this goes back to sex education. No one told me when I was diagnosed at 14 with EDS that I knew it was genetic, but never really explained the whole thing of, oh, you've got this chance of passing it on and things like that. So I, the bit I knew at that age was, right, I never want children. I'm not going to pass it on. But then like life changes. You meet your partner. And then you start having the conversation. And it's also having that conversation early doors with your partner. They explain that, you know, your condition is genetic, for example. Mm-hmm. If we have children, there's a high percentage we're going to pass it on. And then if they have any, con- like your partner has any conditions, and then you're like throwing all that into the mix as well.
1: Yeah.
0: It is not an easy conversation. It, I I say it took mm-hmm. nearly 20 years for us having that conversation of should we, shouldn't we? And in all that time, you, you, like, you're using contraception and things. And obviously, there's so much debate around female contraception about the damage it can cause and yeah. things like that. So, you're, you're always having these conversations, and they're not easy ones to have because I, from like straight away, I would love to have had kids. I, I, you know, I'd love to have been a dad. But it was always in the back of my mind. Could I cope with the guilt if I pass my ADS on?
1: Yeah.
0: Could I cope with the stress of putting all the pressure on Ali to look after a baby? Because I probably physically couldn't like lift them and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you're putting more stress on your partner. It's it's always having them conversations. I think the first, like, the first 12 months if, of having a baby would have probably been the easiest because I... Having a little baby to cuddle, I could have done that, and certain things around the house I'd have been to do. I was it getting old? Then explaining to that child that, like, you're in a wheelchair, you can't do the running around, the playing, the football, and yes, the, there's multiple things you can do, but it's still a hard conversation, and and putting pressure on a child as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also well my my way of thinking when I went in really weird spaces in the sense of if we had a baby and anything happened to Ali, how would I cope as a lone parent and things like that? And it was yeah. all these conversations going around in your head and you can, and then you can have it one day, right? You think, oh yeah, we've made a decision. We're going to try. And then you think next day, oh, I don't know. Something else will come into the back of your head. And I, would, I often say it took us 20 years nearly to have that decision. And then we finally made the decision, right? no we're not going to have children
1: and yeah. It's not an easy conversation for anybody to have at all. And I mean, I don't have this experience, so I can't say, but what I can say is I've spoken to enough people who do have that, or that their disability is somewhat genetic. So I maybe I've got like third person perspective of that. It's not, it's not easy to have that conversation and particularly I think what is really interesting with some of it you said is the guilt that you would have if the child that you did have also had the same disability as you because you know the direct lineage is that it comes from your genetics therefore it comes from you or you know there's a gene that you and your partner put two and two together and you get four so it's something else and I think that's not something that people necessarily take into consideration when thinking about disability. Is that they don't realise that actually, at some level, when it comes down to genetics, there is there is a like there is a layer of guilt because where else did it come from? And I and, and I mean like come from in like a very like genetic sense in terms of you know this molecule of DNA does this. I don't even know if it's a molecule of DNA. I don't know what the pr- correct term is, but there is that layer of, of, of guilt that's there. And I think that's the same for any parent who had a disabled child who also didn't expect to have a disabled child because there's there's also a layer of guilt there. I think guilt will always exist around disability in children and parenthood. I think the three of them actually put a really bizarre sum together, but do we, the the equation is something something equals guilt. and And that is present, I think, for nearly every single disabled parent that I've ever spoken to, is that at some base level... Some parents feel guilty because they feel like it was their fault. Yeah, and actually, and maybe this is part and parcel to do with society. I'm not sure, but because of how we view disability in the past, it's seen as something to feel guilty for. Whereas, actually, like as time has gone on, and we do have these platforms where we can speak about this, actually, like dis- disability is nothing to feel guilty for. But that's a whole societal conversation to have for another. Yeah,
0: point. I've had I've had people. Oh, going years and years back, tell me, oh, you know, you shouldn't have children. You're disabled. You shouldn't have children. You'll pass it on. You definitely shouldn't have. And my thing was always to just ignore them, people. Because, like, at the end of the day, I will make my own decision. Um, but, yeah, the guilt factor is massive. And seeing how my own mom can sometimes feel, if she sees me in a really bad pain day, I know she has a guilt and, she'll t- and she tells me. Um
1: yeah.
0: But and I would never want to put that on someone
1: else.
0: Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we, it was a long decision, made the right decision.
1: Yeah.
0: Um that then led to another story because I then decided, right, I'm going for the vasectomy because and that was that was another like yeah, that was another funny story in its own.
1: <laughs> I really want to thank you for sharing that story on this podcast though because I know it's not an easy story to talk about and it's and for, for anyone it's not an easy conversation to have but thank you for sharing that experience because it's not it, like I said it's not an easy conversation to have but there might be someone else out there who listened to this and that helps them in the decision either way so thank you for being so, like particularly so vulnerable around this because it's not an easy topic of conversation to have and and like i really it isn't
0: we do need to have these conversations. I spoke to someone recently about this. They were struggling making the decision. And, and I'd reached out to them and said, look, you know, if you ever need to talk, because it is not an easy decision, but society, the way society is, makes it hard to have these conversations
1: mm-hmm. because
0: okay. you will always have someone who will throw their toe kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, if if the, someone sees some. There's someone on social media at the moment who was just had a baby who's disabled, and I the hate they have got, I've seen like when they were pregnant, the amount of hate they got because, oh, you shouldn't be having kids because you won't be able to look after them. Yeah, that's that's not your business. I get I get why they might have that thoughts, but don't portray that put that thought into that person.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's their 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 business, their choice yeah
1: i'm very much a big believer of your thoughts are your own to deal with and unless it's something that's really quite damaging it's like for example i recently saw quite a big publication i think then worldwide but particularly in the uk posted something about how you could be a percentage disabled so you can be like 87 percent disabled and i was like that's fucking incorrect but the amount of hate that I got off the back of that for being like, actually, factually, that's incorrect. So you can't be a percentage disabled, just gonna put it out there. The amount of hate that I got from non-disabled people was astounding. But the reason I'm saying this is because my thoughts are very much my own thoughts to deal with. But that was something that yeah. I couldn't that was something that I couldn't help say because it was wrong. Factually. Factually, it was wrong. However, if it's something like, hating on someone for being pregnant whilst disabled, factually, there is nothing wrong with that. So therefore you need to keep those thoughts to yourself.
0: Yeah. And I don't have an issue with people having their own thoughts on anything. That is, that is okay. you know, the, I will think things probably people find controversial, I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And some things I will put out there depending on what it is, um, as long as it doesn't hurt a specific person or anything like that. I, I'm not adverse to putting my my feelings and thoughts out there. I don't have a filter. I do struggle with that. Um, that is probably because of the area I work in. I don't really have a filter. Not, and, but at the same time, not. I get easily offended at, at certain things because I won't say, say easily offended. I can't get offended. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, that person is entitled to their view. But I just think sometimes they've got to be willing to listen to the other side as well. Yeah. I think we... As I said to you on the last one, I, I'm, my own podcast will come up soon. That is one of the things I want to make sure is we have debates. I think we've lost as a society, the willingness willing to listen to people's experiences and debate things as well. I think why we can't tolerate anymore. It's just, yeah.
1: Really interesting because I'm a big believer in that we have lost the art of critical thinking, regardless of who you are. Critical thinking no longer exists. It's either yes, no, black, white, in or out. Whereas actually, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what critical thinking is, Please go and find out what it is, because as a society, we have lost—we've completely lost the art of critical thinking. And I think it's something that's so key. So, I always try to apply critical thinking to to like whatever I'm doing. And I think you're so right. Like we've completely, we've completely lost that need for a debate. And I'm someone I actually love a debate. Like I hardcore love a debate. I think there's nothing yeah. more interesting. And actually, interestingly. Have you ever taken, who is it? It's like Myers-Briggs, you know, that Myers-Briggs test. that tells you like what your personality type is. Mine is the debater. So like my personality type and how I, how I interact with people and actually how I, how I show like I'm really interested in someone is I will argue with you until you argue back. And if I know you can or can't, like, for example, if someone, if someone can't stand up to me or like can't argue back with me, it's an immediate turn off for me. I'm like, no, not interesting. (laughs) Yeah, you have got completely be, lost that. Yeah, you've got
0: to be willing to listen, learn, educate. But oh, it'd be a boring world if we all agreed. And, exactly. there, and there's always going to be someone that you kind of, I think hates a, a strong word, but there's always going to be people you don't like because of their beliefs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, willing to listen. This is my thing with social media. People are quite happy to... Or a nasty comment and whatever, but they're not willing to debate, they'll throw childish names out and one thing or another. If someone doesn't agree with me, if they want to throw a hateful comment, talk to me, have a conversation with me, and tell me why you think I'm wrong or vice versa. Because you're always going to learn something that at the end of the day, um, we, we have really lost that in society, and um, I think we've become, t- as generations go on, I think we have become easily offended, and I think that is another th- problem. I think we've got to learn sometimes people don't like you. I, I know people, for example, won't like me because of the way I am. I'm a, mm. I'm a gobby. I talk about things that some people don't like talking about. They can't weigh me up because they'll see, like, I'll talk about being a straight male and then see me in bright pink, and they're like... Two plus yeah.
1: two does not equal four. <laughs> yeah.
0: So And... Yeah, I think we just need to learn to talk. I, I say about learn to love, learn to laugh, and we just, yeah, that's what it's all about. There's so many conversations where we, like I said, we take offence or we won't talk about it. And like I say, sex and disability is one of them. You know, people have, they think it's a taboo or they, they don't think disabled people should be having sex. And there's so... Many topics in it that I we could talk about, and we probably will uh, another day. And like, like I talked to someone last week about sex clubs and disability. Like, you know, going to a going to a sex club as a disabled person, what will that be like? And I know people who've done it and do it and have positive and negative, depending on the clubs and things like that. But I can, and then you get other people saying, "Well, if you're going to have have just a disabled night and just have disabled people, no, because not all disabled people." not all disabled people just want to have sex with disabled people it's like yeah. yeah
1: I love that point that you just made is that not all disabled people want to have sex with disabled people <laughs> surprise <Yeah. laughs> like, it's true though and I think it's not something that people necessarily think about at all because I think you know I've had that conversation with people where I've I've said something and I'm like oh but you know he's not necessarily my type or you know not really what I'm into and then they're like but you're disabled and so is he and I'm like that does not mean that we are compatible that does not mean that we are gonna be able to hit it off like you know just because we both fall under this umbrella term of disability does not mean that we automatically are gonna hit it off
0: I was going to say like did I not realize like personality goes a long way you know it's not just about
1: yeah, I know, right? Yeah. You're missing a limb and I'm missing a limb. Oh, my God, we must be the perfect partners. <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works. And I, I, You know, when you see,
0: like, dating nights, they're, like, aimed at, like, disabled people. like, But then some people get offended if someone who isn't disabled turns up. And, like, obviously this goes back to the devotee conversation because people are worried about devotees. So it's hard. It's so hard as a, a disabled person. And I, I dread to think what it is, like, now then I like, I haven't dated for so long, so I can't imagine what it's like in today's society.
1: Ten out of ten, where it would be like
0: dating and dating apps and things like that. So, yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's an interesting cross to bear. That's all I'll say. I've met some real, real weirdos, (laughs) but that is for another space and another time. I think. Um, I think I'm going to leave this conversation here because there's still so much that we could dive into. And there's so much that I still want to talk about, but I think we've spoken about loads today. We've covered yes. so many topics and I've loved it. Yet again, I've come away learning something completely new. I've had a completely different way of thinking, which I love. I can only thank you for being on the podcast again. Thank you for coming back. Maybe we'll I do a part it. three. We'll probably do a part three later on this year. I've loved it. Thank you so much for being again. if
0: anyone has any questions, just drop it. You a message on me. You, do you know you what? Drop,
1: drop Damien the message and then if you want to drop me a message, I'll pass it on to Damien. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he'll so know the answer before I do.
0: But <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you so much for coming on and I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you. See you later. I- Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Podcast.